Dead Air by Scott Overton. Previously in Dead Air, Lee Garrett has finally discovered who's been trying to kill him, but the confrontation nearly cost the lives of Garrett and Detective Davis. Now, here's Chapter 25. Cousins would live. Lee wasn't sure how he felt about that. When the paramedics took the man away, he was conscious. The dry-as-ashes voice rattled, It's not over, Garrett. Lee thought about the words as he sat on the police station bench. Wasn't it what the bad guys always said in the movies? Or did it mean more? He hoped the officers would be through with him soon. He wanted to go to the hospital to check on Davis. Sid? A simple red print dress complemented the shining black hair. A gray wool winter jacket draped over her arm looked even more expensive. You look terrific, he said, his jaw slack. Better than naked? Her nose wrinkled with a smile that seemed to release all the tension in his shoulders and neck. He laughed. Terrific in a different way. It's nice to see you, Nadia. You too, Sid. She gave a nod toward the front desk. Been a whole lot of cops and ugly faces coming in here tonight. You part of that? She sat down beside him. Yeah, I'm not an undercover cop. That part was true. The rest of the truth is even stranger. He gave her a quick outline. When it was done, he shrugged an apology. I'm not a history teacher. She snorted. Well, shit, I knew that. I just didn't know if anything you told me was true. She looked at her knees. The wife? The one that left you? My wife left me years ago. It still hurts, but there's another woman I love. She was injured. Badly. Someone meant to hurt me, and she got in the way. She didn't want anything to do with me after that. Nadia put a hand on his arm and gently stroked it. That explains a lot. Then she smirked. I knew there had to be some reason you didn't want me. Oh, I wanted you, he said, but it just didn't feel right. I hope you can understand. Her small nod took a load from his heart. What are you doing here? Tell me. Some asshole tried to take my money, but he was stupid, tried to do it by himself. Her grin was sheepish. I bit his nose half off. Lee stared, not knowing whether to comfort or congratulate her. You're amazing, he said. Better than that, I got a job. Fantastic, where? Her eyes twinkled. At the bingo hall, I'm a server. Their burst of laughter startled some street types and hookers down the hallway. They didn't care. They laughed until there were tears in their eyes. Finally, they just sat and looked at each other. So say hi to me and the gang on the radio, eh? Tell the world we're here. He promised he would. He truly would. She took his face into her hands and fastened liquid eyes on his. One other thing. Tell her the truth. Tell her everything. Always. He turned his face to kiss the palm of her hand and nodded. There was a bandage around Davis's head, but she was awake. She insisted that she'd be fine in a couple of days. How did things go down at the station? She meant the police station. It was funny that they both referred to their workplaces with the same word. He told her about the questions, the paperwork. He told her about cousins. He said, it's not over. Isn't that what the bad guys always say in the movies? She tried to give him a reassuring smile. Besides, he's right. It isn't over. 
There will be sworn statements, hearings, trials, legal bullshit that could drag on for months. Are you up to that? Way too early to tell. But what are our chances? Of convictions? We'll have to wait until the interrogations to know if we've got enough for charges on the early attacks. But the assaults on you and me last night are solid. Van Horn and Cousins will do serious time for those. Will that be enough? I just want it to be over. But... He turned his head to the side. I guess part of me became convinced we could never win this thing, and I still can't believe that we have. Okay, she said. We'll just add paranoia to your other quirks. He smiled with her, so relieved that she wasn't badly hurt. There was more than just respect and affection in what he felt, but the rest would remain unsaid. A squeeze of the hand would have to do. I'm going back on the air tomorrow. I called Maddie Ellis. She was reluctant, thought I might not be ready yet. She could be right. He nodded. There was nothing to say about that. And too much. It felt strange to walk down the hallway to the control room again. He'd only been gone a couple of weeks, but it felt like another life. He hadn't been able to sleep, so he'd come in nearly an hour early. Just catching up on email and memos could take him that long anyway. Getting ready for the show was a welcome routine that calmed him. He thought about Candace. A call to the CNIB had confirmed that she'd gone back to work for a few days a week, but he hadn't asked to speak to her. The next time they spoke could be the moment that determined their future. He wasn't about to risk doing it by phone. But he was afraid of how she'd react and as much of his own reaction. He tried to concentrate on the computer screen, but his eyes kept darting to the clock. It made the time crawl. His show that morning might be critical too, his vindication or his final failure. Either way, he was impatient to get on with it. The settings on the control board were the way they should be, just like all of the other times he'd checked. He clicked on his email icon again. As the mailbox view unfolded, something caught his attention at the corner of his eye, from the direction of the window, maybe a passing car. He looked up. Lenny Schwartz stood outside the glass, outlined by the glow of street lamps, aiming a shotgun at him. The world of crisp edges and measured time blurred into an all-too-familiar dream, the body stripped of its will, its nerves disconnected, joints locked, sinews unresponsive, mental processes too slow to grasp essential information, except for one undeniable truth, the nearness of death. Adrenaline raced through the channels of the flesh, awakening, igniting, bullying, coaxing, pushing the organism to respond with motion, somewhere, anywhere. He flung himself off the chair as the window exploded in a cascade of glass and thunder. Needles stitched his skin, razor shards plucked at his hair and embedded themselves in his clothing. He bounced off a cabinet and back onto the plastic mat, now graveled by jagged fragments. His hands pushed and were pierced in a dozen places. Stifling a cry, he rocked in pain and shock. What could he do? What could he do to live? He risked a look at the window, afraid to face death and afraid not to. His view was blocked by the console. That also meant he was partially hidden. The window had three panes of glass, angled to baffle street noise. The shotgun blast wouldn't have cleared it all at once. Another crescendo of noise, Schwartz sweeping away the remains of the glass with the barrel of the gun, only seconds from getting in. Lee scrabbled under the control board and flung a hand up to stab a button. The music stopped. He stabbed again, the mic control, lunged for the microphone and tugged it down. This is Lee Garrett, 
he shouted, appalled by the fear in his voice. Anyone listening, please call the police. Call 911. A man named Lenny Schwartz is attacking me with a shotgun at the radio station. I repeat, Lenny Schwartz is trying to kill me. The blast was devastating at such close quarters. Pellets shredded the control board, shattering plastic, twisting metal, and ripping through wires. Lee's body jerked, and he cracked his head painfully on the chrome frame. The smell of burnt plastic mixed with the harsh spice of gunpowder. The heart of CTBX was stilled, but maybe it had beat just long enough. At least Lee's own words would accuse his killer after his death, preserved on the station logger that recorded the on-air signal. "'You can't get away with it now, Lenny!' he yelled. "'They'll know it was you and hunt you down!' The voice that answered belonged to a rabid dog. "'Think I give a fuck about that any more, Garrett? You already took everything I had to lose. Turned the kid against me, and my woman.' You're the fucking reason she's blind. You, not me. Too bad your black buddy isn't here, too. I could have done you both. The remaining plate of glass smashed into a hail of splinters. A hot poker seared into Lee's brain. His kid. His woman. Lenny Schwartz was in love with Candace Ross. The last pieces of the puzzle clattered into place like falling glass. He wanted to weep at the futility of it all. A click and a rasp of metal. Schwartz reloading. Lee dived for the end of the long console, knocking the chair crashing onto its back. He scrambled to his feet and raced, hunched over like a soldier in no man's land, the hairs on the back of his neck rigidly aware of their exposure. The muscles flanking his spine twitched in anticipation of a murderous volley. The blast came, but he was out the door. Schwartz bellowed. Now what? Run to the main door and escape into the night? No. Schwartz would only have to lean back through the window and pick him off at his leisure. There was no cover until the far corner of the building itself. Or he could take target practice through the news booth glass. The lobby was a wide-open killing ground. If Lee could make it to the Z-104 booth, he could repeat his cry for help. But if Schwartz were close behind, it would become a trap. He sprinted toward the corner. The crash of a cannon boomed off the walls. The computer screen at the reception desk exploded with a flash that reflected like fireworks from the plaques in the lobby. Lee wrenched backward to stop himself, skidding like a ball player sliding for home plate. He fell heavily to the floor and cracked an elbow, but ignored it in a feverish scramble to regain the safety of the corner. Shit! Schwartz was already out of the booth and the whole lobby was in his line of fire. Dead end! Lee shoved away from the wall and raced down the hall in the opposite direction. The building was a shooting gallery, the corridors offering too many lengthy stretches with no cover. His right knee threatened to collapse. He must have twisted it. He came to an intersection and flattened himself around the corner, panting. Why the hell hadn't he gone on the offensive back in the booth when Schwartz was reloading? He'd been close enough to throw the chair, maybe even try to grab the gun. Instead, he'd run, and the moment he'd done that, he'd given the hunter all the advantages. He was almost out of options. He had to find a way out of the building without giving Schwartz a shot, or he had to find a weapon for himself. Where could he find a weapon? Engineering? No, it was at the far end of the building and always locked overnight. His attacker would be on him long before he could batter down the door. He looked to his right and spotted a fire extinguisher two meters away. Better than nothing. He risked a quick glance around the corner. Schwartz was nearly on top of him, silently creeping down the hall, checking doors. If his head hadn't been turned, Lee would have been caught. He leapt to the fire extinguisher and snatched it loose, then sprinted down the next hall. He had only seconds to reach hiding or feel a shotgun blast tear out his heart from behind. 
Ahead was a T-intersection, but on an impulse he ducked into a small recess just before it and spread himself thin, the extinguisher clutched to his chest. The alcove had once been used for a photocopier. Now it was empty, but it also led nowhere. He'd left himself no escape. He heard the muffled thud of feet as Schwartz ran up to the previous corner and stopped. If he began his cautious advance again, he would certainly find Lee and kill him before there was any chance to counterattack. He had to be distracted. Or inflamed. Is it really me you want to kill, Lenny? Or yourself? He muffled his voice with a cupped hand, hoping the altered sound would help the other's mind accept what it would already be inclined to believe, that Lee was hiding just past the T to one side or the other. How does it feel to know you blinded the woman you love? You feel like a hero now, Lenny? He waited for a reaction. There was none, but he was nearly sure the man hadn't moved. He'd be listening, trying to decide whether Lee had gone to the left or right. Big dumb Lenny. He even manages to make sure the woman he wants will never have to see his ugly face again. Way to go, Lenny. No wonder Paul thinks you're a useless tit. The roar of rage echoed down the hallway. Metal fastenings on the man's jacket clanked against the gun barrel as booted feet pounded into motion. There would only be one chance. Lee raised the heavy extinguisher onto his shoulder like a bat. Schwartz didn't see the alcove in time, but his reflexes were quick. The cylinder missed his head by centimeters, and his shoulder took the force of the blow. The shotgun clattered from his fingers, but his forward momentum knocked the tank from Lee's grip. Schwartz careened against the far wall and tumbled clumsily to the floor. His mouth sprung open in pain. The gun had fallen only a meter away from him, twice as far from where Lee stood, wringing his own stinging hands. Not good. Lee snatched the extinguisher from the floor, frantically thumbed the handle, and aimed. The spray of foam was strong but erratic. Schwartz had enough time to raise the shotgun and slip his finger into the guard before the foaming suds washed across his eyes. Pellets rang from the fire extinguisher, but ricocheted off without puncturing it. Lee's reflex response bounced him into the wall on his left, and he nearly dropped the tank again. The foam sprayed wide. Schwartz wiped his eyes clear for a second shot. In desperation, Lee flung the extinguisher at the outstretched gun and heard a satisfying crack as it made contact. If only it had triggered the gun, he would have jumped Schwartz before the man could reload. Instead, he had no choice but to run down the hallway empty-handed and let the pursuit begin again. Should he continue all the way to the back door? There was only one route there, a long hallway, too exposed. He sprinted in the direction of the control rooms again. He was a rabbit trapped in a maze with the ferret closing in. A wall switch caught his eye and he slapped it off. The section of hallway went dim. Anything might be a critical advantage. A cluster of bulbs in the lobby stayed on and for long seconds he was silhouetted against the light. Then he gained the safety of a corner and stopped, held his breath, listened for the sound of pursuit. Nothing yet. There had to be a way to level the odds. Nothing in the building was the equal of a shotgun, so Schwartz had to lose his. How? The only way was to draw his fire, force him to reload where Lee could reach him. It was a recipe for suicide. As he angrily shook his head, a shadow in the corner of his eye made him jump, human size, only meters away. His legs were coiling to leap when he recognized what he was seeing and had to bite his cheeks to fight the hysterical laughter welling up. It was the cardboard Lee Garrett cutout. As his brain reeled from the absurdity of it, a spark of inspiration stopped his breath, a ridiculous idea, a reckless gamble. He risked a look down the hall. It wouldn't be long now. He leapt the few steps to CTBX control and grabbed a handful of CDs from the wall rack beside the door. Their cases had sharp corners. 
the telltale tick of metal against metal, Schwartz, maybe five meters away. With a burst of energy, Lee whipped his arm around the corner backhand and sent the CDs slicing through the air, fanning across the hallway. There was a clatter of shattering plastic, a guttural noise of rage, but no gunshot. That was too much to hope for. Lee yanked the cardboard figure forward and thrust it out into the dim light. The first shot actually missed. The second tore the cutout nearly in half, but it had served its purpose. Letting his rage boil over, Lee charged down the hall, bellowing like a wild creature. Schwartz's blood-streaked face showed utter astonishment. Lee's shoulder took him viciously mid-abdomen. They sprawled into a ragged tumble. The gun clattered against a wall and slid along the carpet. Schwartz dived on top of it. Lee gave a roar of frustration and leveled a kick at the man's head with all the pent-up fury from months of helplessness. Schwartz moved. The foot glanced off. Lee lost his balance just long enough for his enemy to get to his knees with the gun barrel in his hands. He swung a fierce cut at Lee's legs. The stock connected with a sickening crack, and the radio man collapsed. Waves of agony swept upward from his shin. Through tears he could see Schwartz reaching into his jacket pocket, preparing to reload. Run! Lee had to run! With the first step he nearly fell. The cat-and-mouse game was over. He limped painfully toward the front entrance, responding only to the naked need to flee. But his brain was confused. Where he'd expected darkness beyond the glass, there was bright light. He fumbled with the lock of the door, pushed the glass open. Part of his mind expected a lightning bolt in the back at any moment. He'd forgotten about the step. His brutalized leg landed with a jolt and he sprawled across the concrete. The breath of defeat rattled from his lungs, yet as he wearily raised his head he found the night had become filled with eyes, eyes of white fire, confronting him in a ragged half-circle. Headlights! A scattering of cars had pulled up over the curb, come to illuminate his final moment like an actor on a stage. He became aware of his killer standing over him. Get up, Garrett! I said get up! A vicious kick caught Lee in the ribs and he nearly blacked out. He tried to roll away but felt cold steel at his neck. Get up! I want to look in your eyes as I kill you. It's too late, Lenny. Look at the cars. There are witnesses now. You think I give a shit about being caught? He pushed the barrel of the gun into Lee's ribcage and shoved it upward until the radio man lurched to his feet with a groan, supporting himself on the doorframe. What have I got to lose thanks to you? Not me, Lee panted. You poisoned Paul with your hate and nearly killed the woman who might have saved you from it. The killer's eyes blazed and he snapped the gun up hard against Lee's forehead. It's time I closed that fucking big mouth of yours for good. Lee didn't want that feral snarl to be his last memory. He looked away and his eyes widened. There were shadows against the lights, moving shadows. People had climbed from their cars and were slowly approaching the deadly tableau at the doorway, a mob of shuffling, faceless silhouettes. "'Stay away!' he cried out. "'He's crazy! Stay back!' Schwartz turned his face into the glare. The muscles pulled into a brutish mask. The gun swung toward the figures and Lee realized the man had gone over the edge, fully ready to take innocent lives. He flung himself forward, hoping to drag the madman to the ground. Somehow Schwartz stayed upright, slamming Lee backward against the glass of the lobby window. Lungs on fire with the effort, his vision blurring, Lee's eyes centered on twin tunnels of darkness, the gun barrel. A sudden flare of light made a brilliant halo around Schwartz's face. Lee's brain couldn't grasp what he was seeing. Then his muscles snapped like springs and hurled his body sideways. 
Schwartz turned his head to look, but had no chance to react. The chrome grill of an eighteen-wheeler gleamed with a Cheshire Cat grin as the behemoth mounted the curb. It was only afterward, in his mind, that Lee could distinguish the separate sounds, the snarling thunder of the engine, the demon howl of the rig's brakes, a nails-on-blackboard scrape against asphalt, and the dull crump of the impact. When he finally dared to look up, slivers of headlight glass tinkled from his hair. The truck cab was a live thing. With a harsh growl of gears, it backed off to survey its kill. A battered body lay crumpled on the ground. Air erupted from brakes like the blast of a dragon, and then only a dull rumble was left to vibrate the night. The door of the cab swung open, and Tucker stepped down. He went to the body and squatted low. He's still alive. The words were ice water in Lee's face. He struggled to his feet. Schwartz lay broken and bloody, but thin breath escaped from his shattered chest with a sibilant sound. One eye was obscured by blood. The other suddenly opened and glared through a half-raised lid, a red-rimmed dagger that would have carved Lee open if it could. Lip curled back, the man gave a snap of his teeth. "'Stay still, Lenny,' Lee said. "'We'll get an ambulance. You can still make it.' Lee turned toward Tucker, but saw the truck driver was already moving toward his cab to call for help. A wave of nausea struck him. He staggered back and bent over his knees, waiting for his stomach to empty itself. "'Lee, watch out!' The warning froze Lee's blood. Lenny Schwartz slowly pulled the shotgun from under him. There was nowhere to escape, and no time. But the gun kept rising. Schwartz brought the barrel to his own chin and pulled the trigger. Lee flung up an arm and felt it sprayed with wetness. Then he fell stunned to the pavement and knelt there in bewilderment trying to make sense of the carnage before him. That's Chapter 25. Now our final podcast episode concludes with the epilogue as Lee tries to find if there's anything of his former life to return to. Lee knew he was facing the most important audience of his life. His heart fluttered like a Jethro Tull flute solo. She was filing some papers in a cabinet. He stood in the doorway, remembering all over again how beautiful she was. It made him ache. Her hair had grown back, and there were no signs of scarring from that distance. He watched her movements, so fluid and graceful, even when unsure. Reluctant to break the spell, he rapped lightly on the door with his knuckle. Candace? She turned to the door, but it was a moment before she spoke. Lee? Is that Lee? Sorry, yes, it's me. He cleared his throat and desperately tried to read her face. You've got a great ear for voices. Yours is hard to mistake. Or maybe I sensed you, wishful thinking. Something leaped within his chest. How have you been? she asked. Do you, um, want to sit? Are you staying that long? The question shamed him. She made her way around the desk to perch on the front edge. Fine, I'm fine. Maybe you heard how everything turned out. A shadow came over her face. Lenny Schwartz. I still can't believe it. He was part of it from the beginning, before you and I met, part of the neo-Nazis. I can't imagine what he thought when I showed up at his door with you. It was pure coincidence, but he wouldn't have believed that. First it made him paranoid, then insanely jealous. So if it weren't for me, he... 
He would never have gone that far, never have tried to kill you. Her voice was hollow. We don't know that. He wanted to say more, but how could anyone reconcile themselves to being the object of such a devastating infatuation? Schwartz wasn't alone, he continued. He had lots of help, different people taking aim at me for their own reasons, even one of our announcers, Doug Rhodes. He blamed me for taking the morning show away from him, so he let Schwartz into our building to leave the note, and then made sure the others always knew where to find me. Did you tell the police about him? Lee shook his head, but realized she couldn't see it. No, not yet. I gave him a chance to resign and leave town. I'm sure he'll take it. You're very forgiving of your enemies. I probably deserve them. I'm so sorry, she breathed, her head bowed, for all of us. She raised her chin. What will you do now? My old job is still there if I want it, but I've been thinking I may get out of radio and find something else, a public relations job, maybe. Why? You love radio, in spite of everything. I know you do. And you're good at it. People love you for it. It took over my life, made me forget what's important. I'm not willing to let that happen again. But now you've realized that, you can stop it. I know it's not my business, but someone with your ability. You make a difference in the world. You brighten people's lives. To just walk away from that gift, that would be tragic. She gave a mock, innocent look. There's even an opening at the country music station. The Wolf, the morning host, is leaving. He couldn't help but laugh. I can't say anything for sure right now. There are things I need to know. After a moment he asked, Have you heard anything about Paul? What will happen to him? She gave a half-smile. Believe it or not, he's staying with me for now. My mother's looking after both of us. She and my boss were able to convince the Children's Aid Society that it was the best temporary solution because of our relationship, but I guess eventually he'll go to a foster home or be put up for adoption if that's what he wants. Her sigh came from deep inside. I don't think there's much chance of them letting him stay with me. Lee swallowed hard. Maybe there'd be a better chance if there were another sighted person around. She shook her head. No, I can't let my mother take on that kind of burden forever. She's getting old. I wasn't talking about your mother. She paused, confused. Then her eyes opened wide. Lee, I don't think... She started to turn away, to hide behind the desk. He reached out to take her arm, but suddenly the words wouldn't come. The professional talker was struck mute, the storm of emotions within him, unable to find a way out. What? What is it you came to say, Lee? Her voice was strained. You've changed your mind now that you've seen me, haven't you? No, God, no, he protested. More truth in those words than anything he'd ever said. I'd just forgotten how you take my breath away. Her brows knit with pain. She raised her arms, fists balled as if she were about to strike him. He braced himself to take it. Then suddenly she was in his arms, softly crying. They stood in sunlight at the top of the hill, the hill where they'd gone tobogganing with Paul. Spring spread its glory. They breathed it in. The breeze ruffled her hair. He brushed a stray lock from her eyes and caressed her cheek, so sorry that she couldn't see the beauty that surrounded them. Is there hope? he asked. She turned her face to him, a trace of melancholy in her smile. That I might recover my eyesight? she hesitated. I haven't told anyone else, but I can see some light that I couldn't see before. 
She raised her face into the sunshine. Is there hope? The soft voice trailed off, and she turned back to him. Tell me what you see. And he did. He told her of clouds chasing each other across the sky, of crows lofting in slow, circling currents of air. He told her of the tiny shoots of new grass pushing up between the straw-yellow stalks of the old, miniature flower heads quivering, vulnerable in the breeze, and he spoke to her of the golden light that washed the buildings below and danced upon her hair. He talked and laughed and stopped talking, his heart so full that he could only pull her to him and hold her. Yes, she said. There's hope. That concludes the podcast of Dead Air by Scott Overton. Thanks to Audionautics.com for supplying the theme music of the podcast. And thanks most of all to you for coming along for the ride and sticking it out to the end. I hope you'll check out more of my fiction, my blog, sign up for news, or buy a copy of Dead Air. Just visit my webpage, scottoverton.ca.